Next on BYU Sports Nation, Trap Game 2019. Would you consider BYU a trap opponent for Washington? ESPN says don't sleep on the Cougars. How big of an underdog is BYU to Utah already? And is it even accurate? Plus, which national college football writer says BYU needs more playmakers? And which of the first four games is the most winnable for BYU? Let's go. This is BYU Sports Nation. Brought to you by the BYU Store. Simulcast on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation is live. Your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Tuesday, June 4th, wherever and however you're connected, it's always a good time to have your sunglasses on, and great to have you with us. I'm Spencer Linton, teamed up with the man who apparently... Wears sunglasses to jury duty, Jerem Jordan. Yesterday, uh, I went to jury duty. They called the trial off, so I didn't have to do anything except sit there for two hours. But it's on the fifth floor facing east, this big, expansive room before you get into the courtroom. It was really bright in there, so I put my sunglasses on. Well, there is a website of a cesspool of BYU rumors and speculation called Cougar Board, right? Ah. Apparently, I was told this because I don't actively go read this or inactively. That there is a thread about me wear, trying to hide my identity at jury duty by wearing sunglasses. Be honest. When you do your it civic was duty. bright! When you do your civic duty, you want to hide your identity, Jerem. That's not the case. In fact, the bailiff thought he recognized me, and I was like, oh, this is awkward. And he said, you're an attorney, right? And I said, I probably should have been. Better call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been an attorney. <laughs> Better call Jerem. Yeah. That is right. So no, it was bright in there. Do you have sensitive eyes? No, no. No, it's just okay, bright. Just really bright. Sorry, I can't wear sun. Like no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm just saying. Do you have sensitive eyes? Because no. my oldest son Jax no. has very sensitive eyes, and he always asks for sunglasses. No. Okay. It's bright in the fifth floor. Facing east. Facing east. It was very bright. <laughs> we have a bright show lineup for you today, starting with Ed Eyestone, who is taking 22 BYU track and field athletes to nationals. Which of those 22 is the most surprising to the former Olympian? We go between the lines with another special. And Chantel Jennings, college football writer for The Athletic. How many wins does BYU need to earn to garner, and I know you love that verb, some national respect, we'll ask her. Here are today's BYU Sports Nation headlines. BYU golf alumnus Zach Blair has qualified for the U.S. Open. He did so yesterday, one of five qualifiers in a field of 73, shooting a pair of 67s to tie for first place in that match. Blair will compete in his second U.S. Open June 13th to the 16th at the famous Pebble Beach Golf Club. Elijah Bryant and Hapoel Eilat defeated Ness Ziona in round four of the quarterfinals in Israel with a 98-90 win. Bryant had 23 points, five boards, two assists. Bryant's team advances to the Israeli League semifinals to play Maccabi TA on June 10th. Jackson Clough and Brock Hale of BYU Baseball on the clock, hoping to hear their names called in the Major League Baseball draft as the fun continues today at 1 Eastern, 11 Mountain, with rounds 3 through 10. Clough finished the season with a 327 batting average. Head coach Mike Littlewood says he thinks... Jackson will be drafted in the first 10 rounds. Brock Hale, the West Coast Conference Player of the Year, closed out the season with 11 home runs. He has a very, very interesting case of being undrafted because of his age, perhaps. He's older than most guys, but he's been consistent 
at the D1 level, so why not take a chance? And Mike Littlewood thinks Justin Sterner's in the mix, too. Those are the two-plus Brock Hale, maybe, that could be drafted, he thinks. And track and field continues prep for the NCAA D1 track and field championships tomorrow in Austin. The number four men's team has 16 entries. Number 15 women's team has six entries. Head coach and Olympian Ed Eichstone will join us next segment. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Well, well, well. ESPN has dubbed BYU a potential trap opponent for the University of Washington, Jerem. It is week number four after BYU plays Utah Tennessee and USC. What will the Cougars have left in the tank for the Huskies in week four, which has historically been not great. And Jerem, more importantly, would you consider BYU a trap game for Washington? Well, it all depends on who's before and after, right? So uh, Washington plays Hawaii. That's a win. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then BYU, then USC. Okay. Now USC is an interesting case, right? Five and seven last year. People aren't thinking they're they're that dangerous. But everyone has USC on the radar. You see USC and you go, okay, speed, talent, they always have it. Can they cobble it together and have a good season? Let us not forget that the previous two seasons before last year, that USC went to two New Year's Six games, won a Rose Bowl, lost a Cotton Bowl. We're 21-6, and six, okay? There is a group in there that, yes, had an off year, but could instantly all of a sudden become a Pac-12 South darling. Because as we saw last year, that division was wide open, as it will be this year, although Utah goes in the favorite. So is it a trap game? Yes, I think it is, because USC's on the radar. Yes, they struggled last year, but they're a team that you have to be careful about. So Washington will play Hawaii, BYU, and then USA. So it is certainly a trap game for Washington. Now, for BYU, like you mentioned, there are three games in front of that. I think because of who BYU plays in the fourth game after who they play in the first three games, that there is... This is going to be really hard to win. Really, really, really hard to win because uh, Washington, you could argue, is the most talented team of the four that BYU is going to play in the first four. Uh, Perhaps the best team. We'll see when it shakes out. I think this is a bad, bad spot to play this team in this week for BYU. Now, typically in Independence, BYU has gone through these gauntlets of early season schedules, primarily on the road. At Arizona last year, at Wisconsin, and then at Washington in week five. BYU is home for three of the first four this year. Will that manifest itself differently for the Cougars, who have not been great under Kalani Satake at home, but they haven't had the luxury of playing three Power 5 opponents in the first four weeks at home. They don't have to sleep anywhere else. They don't have to travel. How much of a difference will that make? They're still sleeping in a hotel, but yeah. Sure, it's a trap game. This is not the same Washington team, first of all, that BYU played last year. They were so good. They were so good on defense last year specifically. Put a ton of guys into the NFL. Chris Peterson, I know. I have nothing but respect for the guy. He's a great football coach. He'll have his guys ready to play. But again, this is not the same Washington team BYU lost to 35-7 last year in Seattle. This is in Provo. And need I remind you, the Cougars, all out with what happened in Wisconsin 2017, 2018, want to exact some revenge after being embarrassed by the Huskies in Seattle. You think that they've forgotten about that? BYU's underclassmen that basically all return after that blowout loss? No, BYU will have a chip on their shoulder, an extra measure to come out and play well against Washington. Also, as you mentioned, Jerem, yes, this game happens right before USC. It would be easy for the Huskies to be like, oh, man, this is when it really starts to matter in Pac-12 play against the team that might compete for a South title, USC. It's USC. 
BYU plays USC and then Washington plays USC. There you go. Also, there's this. If BYU fans are so confident in beating Utah, and I know not every BYU fan is, but a lot of BYU fans are confident in the Cougars ending the losing streak to Utah, which some national writers think is the best team in the Pac-12, not the Pac-12 South, the entire Pac-12, better than Washington, then why not BYU beat Washington at home if the Cougars could beat Utah in the season opener? Yeah, because it's game four and you've exhausted yourself in the first three. Yeah, I think if BYU was playing a decent team in game four, it'd be tough to win, even if it wasn't a power five team. Just even because, though it's at home, even though just, BYU is going to yeah. play three of the first yeah. four at home. Yeah, because it's really hard. Um, and it's great it's at home. Certainly that gives BYU hopefully a little bit more than they would have had, say, playing on the road. Honestly, BYU's been a better road team against Power 5 teams than home. Let's think about the home wins in the Satake era against Power 5 teams, right? There's, there's not as many as you think. BYU's gone on the road and beaten Michigan State, beaten Washington a year before that, beaten Nebraska. Maybe BYU needs to play Big Ten teams on the road. <laughs> The pack winning games at home for BYU has been a struggle, regardless of like BYU lost a UMass at home. Let alone in comes these three Power Five teams. That's really hard. It's a different team. I get it. But Washington is certainly really good quickly in the first four games, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Washington's twenty-one and three in the first four games in the Chris Peterson era. Who have they played in the first four? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I don't know. And regarding the loading and reloading, the last three years, they've had five draft picks, five draft picks, and now eight. So they've done a good job of eight draft picks. Yes, they go to the NFL, but they put Chris Peterson develops talent like Zach Wilson uh, wanted to go to Boy State because Chris Peterson built that program in a way where they develop people. And that has continued uh, in Boise. But yeah, it's that's a tough game, man. I don't know how much I buy into the 21-3 and because, again, I don't think Washington has played a ton of opponents. They played Auburn last year, right, to open up and lost and blew it. They actually played a good team in the first four. I don't think that they've played a ton of good opponents in the Chris Peterson era in the first four games. Also this, BYU against Washington in Provo all time, 3-1. 3-1 on their home field against the University of Washington. So maybe that's your feel-good, blue-goggled, Second stat of the day. One of those wins was Utah last year. So there you go. <laughs> now to topic two. If BYU is bowl eligible and doesn't make a New Year's Six game, the Cougars will play this Christmas Eve in the Hawaii Bowl. Beyond this season, the Cougars aren't tied into a bowl game. ESPN will own 16 FBS bowl games by 2020, which include the following. Fenway Pack, mm-hmm. Cure, Myrtle Beach, Frisco, like Hawaii, Texas, Gasparilla, Las Vegas, Armed Forces, New Mexico, First Responder, Bahamas. Let's go there. Boca Raton, Camellia, that's in uh, Alabama, Birmingham, and famous Idaho Potato. We know that one. What bowl games do you want to see BYU tied into in the future? Okay, of the 16, I have given you my top five. And, and or I will give you my top five, and they're in no particular order. Just five of the 16 I would like to see BYU have ties to. Number one, Las Vegas. I think BYU has a nice history there, and more importantly, there are a ton of fans that will show up for that game. I know it got a little bit old when BYU went there yes. from 2005 to 2009. It's a different scenario now with BYU and Independence. They're not that they don't have that automatic tie with the Mountain West Conference, and it actually has a decent payout. Like if you I throw like it the in, Vegas Bowl yeah, occasionally. You, yes, yes. Yeah. I don't want to do it five years in a row or even two years in a row, but doing it once every now and then, sure. Plus, it's a quality opponent. I don't mind the Frisco Bowl, the Texas Bowl. 
Both of those in yeah. the Lone Star State. Sweet. BYU has a solid following in Texas. They recruit there. Good for recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hawaii, I'm super stoked that BYU's playing in the Hawaii Bowl this year. Yeah. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And again, BYU has a nice following on the islands. And why not the Bahamas? You said, let's go. That Yeah, it'd be something new. The Miami Beach Bowl was yeah. fun. Let's take the show there. The Bahamas Bowl would, the- would be a riot. If we take the show there, I'm all for it. You want to go someplace that's typically warmer, where you have a solid following within your fan base, and there is a bowl game feel with warm weather and tropics. So not Boise. Hawaii, Bahamas, <laughs> even Texas is warmer. Vegas, again, not the warmest. Vegas is sneaky cold in it December. It was cold oh, when my. we were there last time in I've, 2015. I've been to every single Vegas bowl that BYU has been into. Like, it, been in. It's so cold. No. Warm tropics where BYU has some history or where they have a solid fan base. Those are my five. What about you? If BYU plays Utah, I'll go wherever. <laughs> Literally, wherever. The famous Idaho yeah. Potato Bowl. Literally, anywhere. I'm up for whatever.com. The more remote and weird, the better. Because typically, the bowl game, to me, is more about the matchup than the locale. Okay? Not that many fans end up showing to these up to these bowl games anyways. Unless it's Vegas and Utah. And that was packed and sold out, and that was a small venue. If you aren't into New Year's Six, and it's not the Holiday or Capital One Bowl, which to me are the top two other bowls, right? Okay, okay. It just doesn't really matter. It's about the location. It's about the team having a good time and going there. But it's more about the matchup because 20 years later, we, go, we don't go, where was that game? We say, oh, BYU lost to Ohio State in the Citrus Bowl in 85 or whatever. That you th- remember the matchup. So to me, it's more about matchups. If you can get a Power 5 opponent, if you can get a compelling opponent, awesome. Let's go. Bring on topic three, Jerem, and you said you'll go anywhere to watch BYU play Utah in a bowl game. Yeah. Well, BYU plays Utah to open the season. What? Uh-huh. On August 29th, and FanDuel has BYU an early six-point underdog to Utah in Provo on that Thursday night. Is that line too high, too low, or just right? It's too low. Let me give you three reasons why. Uh, Utah is a great defensive line by several uh, indications, top three in the country, right? Uh Top 20 team, most likely. We've been seeing a lot of this. Top 20 team going into the season based on 9-5, and five, based on returning Huntley and Moss in that D-line and that defense. And then, uh, of course, uh, Zach Moss, one of the best running backs in the Pac-12 is back. I think this should be a double-digit line. I'm not saying Utah's going to win. in but, Provo? Sorry, double uh, two score. So, 9-plus. I think it should be 9-plus, given those factors. Pure's coming off 7-6. and six. Um, they, they beat Wisconsin. That was a tremendous win. But... Uh, it's based on a lot of, okay, you return this quarterback and you beat Western Michigan 18 for 18 and a, a moral victories against Boise State and Utah. I think this should be a nine-point line. First games of the college football season are typically a little bit sloppy and a lot of the time not high scoring. So I think that this line is just right. And it's a rivalry game. BYU was a massive underdog going to Salt Lake City last year and had a 20-point lead with a minute left in the third quarter, for crying out loud. Ended up losing by eight, but still, it Two was scores. a close game. It was a one-score yeah. game. Give me one more point. It typically is a one-score game. So why would it be any different the first game of the season where things need to be worked out? And I know that Huntley and Moss are stars for Utah, but they're playing their first game coming off of pretty significant injuries. Zach there Wilson's is a new off kind of too. new offensive coordinator for Utah, a guy that's been there before. Zach Wilson, BYU. Zach's coming off his injury. I don't know. I think because of the rivalry factor in the first game of the season and the history of the rivalry game, it's going to be a one-score game. I think this is just right, which is why I said a month ago, 
I would put the line at six, which is exactly where FanDuel has it right now. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was a one-score game because that's how it's played out. But if Utah is indeed the team that people think they are, this shouldn't be a one-score game. Utah should win the game by two scores. Well, if BYU but, is the team that BYU fans think BYU is, then it definitely well, should be are. a one-score game. They never are. <laughs> and the Cougars are typically good in season openers. Yes, but they're playing a team that's way better than they've played in season openers recently. Like, it's one thing to go to Arizona and Khalil Tate to, to not be the same guy, right? It's another to play Utah. This is going to, it's a compelling matchup because BYU's not supposed to win this game. I'm not supposed to. And so if it's, uh, if it's, it doesn't even matter what the line is, right, in the end. But if I'm, if I'm a neutral observer of this, I go, yeah, this should be two scores for sure. Ooh, two scores. Top 20 team versus a team that uh, has won 11 games the last two years. That if, should be if this were game four, a two-score game. If this were game four, I would be more towards inclined to go towards your camp, but it's game number one. Game number one is weird. After a long offseason, it's weird. And typically I need, low scoring. I need more quantifiable reasons other than it's weird. Like, top 20 team coming in. That should be a two-score game. Yeah. <sighs> See, I just don't think... Wasn't Utah top 20 team, top 25 team last year, though, in Salt Lake? It was last a, game of the season? We're talking about the line, not the result. And it was a, what, like, three score. I know, I'm telling but, you, it's yeah. typically a one-score game between these teams. So, in Provo. Oh, I know what the results are. I'm saying what the line should be. That's right, right. And you're saying you want, you want history. Look at the history of the series. I want the history of the lines, mm. not the results. Okay. All right. Well, we have how many days to wait? A countdown to the youths. 86, that is right. Shout out to Ben Cahoon, Canadian Football League Hall of Famer for the Montreal Alouettes at BYU. 934 receiving yards in 1997, kind of took over after that magical 96 season. Ben Cahoon, hope you're well, man. Question of the day, what is your trap game for BYU football on the 2019 schedule? ESPN says Washington needs to be weary of BYU in week number four, but which team should BYU be a little bit uh, careful with? Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At Colonel underscore James 83 tweets in, the majority of responses are leaning towards Toledo. I agree for the following reasons. One, coming off emotional highs from the first four games for BYU. Injuries on the road perceived as an easier game. Hashtag don't go to sleep on Toledo. I don't think this is an easier game, and I don't think it should be well, perceived as an easier game. It's easier than the first four, that's for sure. I think that's what he's getting at. Easier than those. Not easy, but easier. Is Toledo in week five on the road easier in the Eastern time zone than, let's say, USC at home in week three? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Toledo easier than USC? What the freak? <laughs> No. Yeah. No, Toledo, you're saying it no, no, should no. be easier. Than- yes, Toledo is obviously easier than USA. Get out of here. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Is Tennessee this world beater? No, but 100,000 people screaming in your ear, regardless of how crappy the team is, is going to be hard. The glass bowl, man. Coming up, it's a World Cup shootout in between the lines. But first, Ed Eyestone, Olympian, head coach for BYU track and field, joins us from Nationals. Which of his 22 entrants was the biggest pleasant surprise as BYU Sports Nation. BYU 
BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Join us in two weeks from today, BYU Football Media Day, Tuesday, June 18th. We'll get you ready for the 2019 season with web chats, state of the program, two-hour BYUSN, and a look at BYU's impact on the college football season, or college football in its 150th season. It's coming up in two weeks, BYU Football Media Day. Live from Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play alongside Jerem Jordan, I am Spencer Linton. We welcome in our friend of the program, Olympian and BYU track and field coach Ed Eyestone on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline at Nationals Coach. Welcome to the show. Congratulations again on a fantastic season and taking 22 athletes to Nationals. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. Uh, and it is a bit of a numbers game. You want to get as many people here to the big dance as possible, and we're excited with the prospect of the next uh, well, four days or so of track and field. Which of the 22 was the biggest surprise to you? Uh, which is the biggest surprise? Uh, well, you know, we, we knew we had a, 10, a good 10K crew. I wasn't sure that I was going to get six guys in in, in in the 10K, and so that was fun. So probably those last two uh, gentlemen, uh, Connor Weaver and Dallin Farnsworth, although they had showed uh, that they obviously were capable of doing great things, but for them to uh, make it in. And then uh, Ricky Fantroy, obviously, uh, going in the, the regional meet, was not forecasted to finish in our, our top 12 there. And, and he brought it on that last uh, jump of his, was able to punch his ticket. So fun to have those guys there. Uh, were they big surprises? Maybe not big surprises because uh, we know the size of their heart. And, uh, and they put it together when it counted. And we know the size of Fantroy's stomach. Uh, he credited baked beans in part for his uh, success. How do you feel about that? Well, it, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, baby. And if it's baked beans, then that'll be on the uh, menu from here on out. Love it. We expect nothing less. Ed Eisner with us on BYU Sports Nation. Coach, I know it's hard to rank each of your teams because they're all so unique and different from each other, but where would you rank this specific group in terms of the teams you have taken to nationals with those 22 entrants? Well, in terms of track and field, certainly it's our, it's our biggest group uh, ever to date, and so uh, they've got to be uh, right up there in terms of uh, getting to the big meet. Of course, ultimately, we are judged after this weekend by how many points that we score. And so uh, it's great to have big numbers here, but it's also great to have, uh, you know, big performances and and come away with with a lot of points. So, um, but but I think we're capable of doing that. And again, it's one of those deals where if you just focus on the process, focus on those things that got you to this meet, focus on those things that, uh, in some some events, have us ranked number one, uh, and do the things that uh, you did to get you here. Then generally, the points will take care of themselves. Do you feel like you have a couple of national title contenders in, uh, say, Andrea Stapleton Johnson and others who could ho- come home with an individual championship? Yeah, you know, everybody has a chance, but certainly those that are ranked highest in terms of uh, marks coming in, and Andrea Stapleton Johnson certainly in the high jump is one of those. You know, uh, with the school record six two and a quarter, uh, when she is on, uh, she's a tough person to beat. We're very excited about her, about her prospects. Erica Burke uh, has the number two uh, ranked steeple um, mark in the country. I think Erica has a really good shot of, uh, of being a national champion. Um, and uh, on the men's side, we've got some guys ranked high, highly in both the steeplechase um, in terms of Matt Owens, and Kenneth Brooks, and also in the 10,000 meters, obviously, we've got uh, four guys that have the top four marks in the country. So these are all 
events that were ranked in really well, uh, and certainly maybe uh, the events that we have the most likelihood of scoring a national championship in. I'm talking with Coach Ed Eyestone. Follow him on Twitter at Ed Eyestone. And as a team, what's a realistic goal for a finish at Nationals, Coach, in your mind? Well, you know, it was it was interesting. That goals are ama- an amazing thing. As a as a coaching staff last year, uh, before the uh, before uh, the end of the summer, we sat down and, and, and knew that we had a very good track team. We knew that on the men's side, we were capable of probably winning the uh, Mountain Pacific MPSF Mountain Pacific Sports Federation uh, Conference Championship, which uh, we set as a goal, and we were able to accomplish that. We felt like we had a, a chance to be a top 20 team on both the men's and women's side, uh, both indoors and outdoors. And certainly, I think we ended up 13th and 14th indoors. Um, and uh, again, kind of the overarching goal has been still a top 20. But you know what? Sometimes you set goals and you see how well you're doing. You've got to readjust those those goals. And certainly, uh, we've been ranked as high as third and fourth place as the season has rolled out, just given uh, where our athletes' um, marks have, have placed them. Uh, so I think certainly a top I – th- I think we can tweak that top 20 to a top 10 on, on the men's side, and I think the women can uh, – although we don't have as many women here, I think those women that we did bring uh, certainly have a chance of scoring big time, or we're talking top three in many events. And with that, you can score a lot of points as well. So I think a top 10 – uh, on the men's and women's side, we were, we would feel pretty pretty stoked about. You normally have to score oh somewhere in the in the mid twenties to uh, to get a top ten uh, position. On the men's side, you have a bunch of guys who are putting together one of the great seasons in distance running history at BYU. The cross country team took second. Now this uh, men's distance team is ranked number one in the ten k. You got the we don't know what to call them, Ed, the Super Six Pack or whatever into the final. What do you expect from that group specifically in the ten k? Well, you know it, it's a, a kind of a different ball game when we come here, and the forecast for weather is going to be. You know, in the night it was in the nineties yesterday, and we're coming off the kind of the coolest, wettest spring in our in our history there in Provo. So there has been some adaptation to that. Really, it's going to come down to uh, how how well we can weather the the heat and humidity here. But I think uh, we are capable. Usually, I've found that the fitter the athlete, the better you handle the extreme conditions. And uh, and so I would I would anticipate seeing all you know six. Of the men in there battling, they know the importance of uh, positioning. They know the importance of, uh, especially in a, a race where it's going to be, you know, conditions that are less ideal. They know the uh, the importance of just pacing yourself uh, and uh, running a smart tactical race and being patient. And I think uh, I think our guys are pretty smart the way they can execute a, ra- a game plan and uh, the importance of uh, it, these races are usually a, a race of attrition. And so if you can just battle, put yourself in good position, and then uh, gradually slide up as uh, people fatigue and make sure you don't get caught behind some of the, the withering debris that occurs over the uh, lap of, uh, a race of 25 laps, and then hopefully we can, we can see at least uh, three or four guys in the, in the top eight, and we'll, we'll score some points with that. Coach, get your baked beans ready, and I hope you have a huge BYU contingent show up in Austin to support the crew. I'm sure we will. We we have Cougar fans wherever we go, so if you're in the Austin area, it'll be fun. Uh, the men's 10,000 is uh, tomorrow evening at a little after 9 o'clock local time, and you can also watch that on ESPN3. 
We will be watching for sure. Ed, great to talk to you as always. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma as we say goodbye to uh, Go and kill it at Nationals, man. Oh, I appreciate that. We'll do our best. Thank you. You got it. Ed Eisen on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. Get that pickle juice out, man. Tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, running the 10K. Woo! 22 entrants, the most that BYU has had in the Ed Eyestone era. There you go. That's incredible. That's a lot. So score some points. Finish uh, top, top 10, 10 in the country. Top Let's go. 10. Coming up, what one national rider thinks is the most winnable game of the first four. But first, the BYU women's soccer team gets us ready for the Women's World Cup in between the lines. This is BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation on a Tuesday. Let's keep things rolling with part two of our BYU Sports Nation headlines. Did you hear? BYU golf alumnus Zach Blair has qualified for the U.S. Open of Golf. Congrats to Zach. Blair, one of five qualifiers in the field of 73, shot a pair of 67s to tie for first place in that qualifying round. Blair will compete in his second U.S. Open June 13th through 16th at Pebble Beach. Elijah Bryant and Hapoel Eilat defeated Ness Ziona in Israel in round four of the quarterfinals with a 98-90 win. Bryant had 23 points, five boards, two assists. Bryant's team advances to the Israeli League semifinals to play Maccabi TA on June 10th. Jackson Clough and Brock Hale of BYU Baseball hoping to hear their names called in the Major League Baseball draft as the fun continues today at 1 p.m. Eastern with rounds 3 through 10. Clough really pushed his way up some draft boards with an outstanding season defensively, and he batted 327. Hale, we know what he did. He was the West Coast Conference Player of the Year as a senior, but has gone undrafted unexpectedly each of the last two years. Will a team take a chance on him this year? He closed out the season with 11 home runs, and Jerem, as you mentioned, Justin Sterner, if there's a pitcher that's going to go for BYU, it's probably Sterner. Yeah, it's Clough, Sterner, and Hale probably in the mix, according to Mike Littlewood. And track and field continues prep for the NCAA D1 Track and Field Championships tomorrow in Austin. We just talked to head coach and Olympian Ed Eyestone. The number four men's team has 16 entries. Number 15 women's team has six entries. We expect this team to score some points and do some damage. Jeremy, you and I were talking about this the other day, but sometimes in the summer you get in the doldrums and you're like, oh, man, how am I going to pass the time? But then there are these random events, the Olympics, the World Cup of Soccer, and now the Mm -hmm. Women's World Cup, where we will pay attention, and it helps the summer flow a little bit quicker before college football starts. So with that in mind, the women's soccer team at BYU, we expect big things from them, gets us ready for the Women's World Cup as we go Between the Lines. BYU Sports Nation presents Between the Lines. I'm Melissa Jefferson, I'm from Sandy, Utah, and I play defense. I'm Cameron Tucker, I'm from Highland, Utah, and I play forward. I'm Rachel Lyman, I'm from Spanish Fork, and I play defense. And this is Between the Lines. In honor of the Women's World Cup, we decided that we were going to have our own PK shootout, but first we have to do a juggling contest to see who goes first. Three, two, one. Dang. <laughs> I'm fine kicking for the dog here. Let's go, Lissa. You got. Oh! <laughs> no! 
Don't miss, don't miss. Oh, oh dang it! Ah, oh, dang, I thought you were a winner, baby. I'm gonna save this. USA. Oh, I got in your head. PK. Thank you, go. Oh. What a disgrace, take that jersey off. What? <laughs> that worked, man. Oh, you're close. Oh, shoot. No, I... Mexico. <laughs> oh, no. oh! Oh, I got a score. Rachel Bingham Lyman, your winner of Between the Lines and the Shootout. No, yeah, it, it's my daughter's favorite player. It would be interesting to see those three go against the actual keepers for BYU. Yeah, when you have a shootout without a goalkeeper, <laughs> uh, you have a lot of scoring. So, yeah, the U.S., uh, I think, open up Thailand next Tuesday. Let's go, man. Say. Let's go, yes. Today, so I'm, I'm excited about it. U.S., uh, the, the favorite, I believe, to win this. So, And where is it again? France? Is that where it is? I think so. I think it's in France. So, yeah, very cool. Exciting, man. And uh, you're right. The, the, the funny part with the summer is I don't want it to go fast. Like, I want to get to football, yes, but that's the time when I have, I have more family you, you time and just chill time. finally get to I, recuperate. I'm not in a hurry to yeah. get past that time, although I, I will get antsy. Like, in July, you're like, okay, enough, enough. When you get to, like, 40 days away, it's like, ugh. Let's just, it's 100 degrees outside. Then we get to fall camp, and then we realize, oh, wait, there's three more weeks or four more weeks. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. We're going to exaggerate all these storylines now. Yeah. Just schedule a vacation like you did uh, a few years back I during try, fall camp. I try and take one week off during fall camp just yeah. to not add a full month. Go see the, a no-hitter yeah. in Seattle like you did on that trip that well, I'm referencing. It might, be a, it might be Seattle not getting a hit. Okay. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> or just throw it home when a catcher's not there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was an amazing play. Major League Baseball, ladies like, and gentlemen. What just happened? Our question of the day about college football, specifically, what is your trap game for BYU football on the 2019 Cougar schedule and why at Lawless Republic says, Tennessee, honestly, if BYU beats Utah, the Cougars can't celebrate too much and forget they have a game against an SEC team. If BYU loses to Utah, they can't get so down they lose focus going into that game. We've talked about that we are, I, I'm frankly scared to death of this idea of the emotional up or down that will come with the Utah game. So up, oh, it's amazing. Boom, just get blown out the next week because you emotionally were all in on game one. I, I think you need to be careful. I think you don't put, and that's the danger of having Utah have game one, is that in game two, no matter who you play, it's an issue. That's why I love the FCS team in, game, in week two here. Now the trap game idea is that you are overlooking an opponent because of yes. well, what's em- in front or what's behind. Emotionally, maybe BYU's so underselling maybe, that. Maybe right? an emotional yeah. trap game, but <laughs> Tennessee, SEC, over 100,000 fans. I, I can't think of a BYU player that's thinking, oh, man, we're going to overlook Tennessee. Well, they're, no not, way. Yeah, no they're, way. they're not talking about Tennessee right now. Well, they shouldn't be. Neither are we. Who would you have uh, coming up? Who would you have on your BYU tug of war team? But first, Chantel Jennings defines how many wins 
it will take for BYU football to gain national respect in 2019. This is BYU Sports Nation. Between the Lines is presented by Tim Daly Ford and the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Join us Tuesday, two weeks from today, June 18th, BYU Football Media Day. We'll have a two-hour BYU Sports Nation from 12 to 2 Eastern, among many other programs. Kalani Satake, Zach Wilson, and others will help us preview the season. It's two weeks from today on BYU Football Media Day. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation with our second guest of the day. We welcome Chantel Jennings, college football insider and writer for The Athletic on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Chantel, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Thanks for having me. This is exciting, guys. You betcha. So you're probably aware, but BYU knows a thing or two about losing heartbreaker after heartbreaker to an arch nemesis. We want you to speak some peace to the minds of BYU fans who have lost eight straight to Utah, Chantel. How did the Cougars get it done against the Utes this year? I think it's going to be an interesting matchup because I actually spoke with Kyle Whittingham earlier this offseason, and obviously a strength of that team and his coaching for so long has been the defensive front. And he told me that he thinks this unit actually has the deepest defensive line he's ever had at Utah, which I think is a scary thought for a lot of teams. I think the good thing for BYU in that regard, though, is that they return 80 starts on the offensive or 80 percent of its starts on the offensive line from a season ago. So I think the matchup is really going to be between that Utah defensive line and the BYU offensive line to sort of see who can come away with that win. And I would I would venture, I guess, that whichever squad wins in that trench on that side of the ball will be the winner of the game. So it at least for Utah and BYU, it's going to be a strength-on-strength matchup. So um, that'll be an interesting one to watch. But I think if the offensive line pulls it together, if they can protect Zach, um, I think they've got a shot. BYU feels good about the direction it's going. Utah certainly is a preseason favorite in the Pac-12 South and probably in the Pac-12. Do you feel like they're one of the top teams to beat in the Pac-12 going into the season? You're saying Utah? Utah, yes. I wish I was talking about BYU in the Pac-12, Chantel. I really do. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I've only had like two cups of coffee so far, so I'm still running a little slow. (laughs) No, I think I've I've counted Utah for a while. I picked them to win the South last year. I'm picking them again to win the South this year. That is both a credit to Utah and where they are as a program right now and to the fact that so many of the other Pac-12 South schools are kind of in a bit of a cluster um, and you don't really know their identities yet. I think at least with Utah, they're a team that's established their identity. They know what their foundation is, and they won the South last year when dealing with a lack of depth at different positions. And so I think they're in a good position um, to repeat as Pac-12 South champions and potentially win the whole thing. Chantel Jennings of The Athletic with us on BYU Sports Nation. You tackled a bear of a subject with your BYU State of the Program article and brought up consistency or a lack thereof for BYU football in the first three years under Kalani Sitake. What do you expect from BYU in 2019? It's honestly, at the end of the piece, what I wrote was that I, you know, I am not a national writer who's going to go out and say this team's the best in the world, this team's the worst in the world. Because it's just so hard to say at this point in the year, a lot can change between June and August, June, September, and frankly, June and November. And that's when a lot of the seasons are decided. I think what makes BYU interesting this year is because their season is so front-loaded. There are some people who are going to really freak out potentially in September, and this season could end up really well. But I think where I'm kind of stuck is that in the first three years of the Sataki era, we've seen 
everything. Um, we've seen winning seasons, losing seasons, barely winning seasons. And so it's hard to know exactly where this group will stand. But talking to Kalani for this article, he seems pretty optimistic about this group. He feels good about the guys they have in that program right now. They're finally getting a roster that's full of his recruits. He likes where the strength and conditioning program has guys. And so my expectation is that based off of how they ended last year with Wilson at quarterback, I think they take a step forward this year. I think fans are going to be surprised about the direction of the program. The first four games all feature Power 5 opponents. BYU is the only team to do that. Utah at Tennessee, USC, Washington. Which of those four do you feel is the most winnable game for BYU? That's a good question. I would say most winnable might be USC just because I really don't know what that group is going to look like right now. Um, But if we talk about maybe what is the most important or the one that could bring the most eyes to BYU, I might actually say that it's Tennessee. I think winning on the road is really, really hard for any team to do. And frankly, BYU plays so many West Coast teams out of the Mountain West or out of the Pac-12 that I think when they play a team really well out of the Pac-12 or if they beat a team, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, BYU does that. But I think what made the Wisconsin win so impressive last year was, oh, they beat a team out of the Big Ten. I think if they can step out of that West Coast footprint, specifically against a team that I think will be bowl eligible out of the SEC, um, to beat an SEC team on the road, that is a game that even if maybe that group isn't the best out of those four teams, that's a game that, People in Michigan would notice. People in Tennessee would notice. People in Florida would notice and say, oh, wow, BYU beat an SEC team on the road um, in September. That's pretty darn impressive. Follower at Chantel Jennings, an insider and writer for The Athletic on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Of those first four games, Chantel, Utah, Tennessee, USC, and Washington, how many does BYU have to win to attract positive national attention? Um, so, again, I think it's, it's less for me about a number and more about the quality of the opponent. Obviously, beating Tennessee, as I just said, is, is a game. If they win that, it's suddenly the southeast, uh, southeastern United States is sort of saying, oh, wow, you, like they beat an SEC team. BYU beat an SEC team. Um, and it's less about maybe the level of competition and more about the conference from which that team comes. When you look at the three Pac-12 teams they've got on their schedule, I think USC, again, no matter where they are, even if they are having a terrible season, even if they're in a terrible spell of seasons, it's still USC. That's still a nationally recognized program, maybe even more so than Utah when we talk about it from just a national perspective. Um, but I think people also know the BYU-Utah rivalry. I think opening with that game and the stage that it is, a night game, that's an exciting game. But then you also look at Washington, and they're the reigning Pac-12 champs, and Chris Peterson has that group really growing um, and gaining national relevancy. And so I think all four of those games, um, in terms of the national perspective, there's a potential which, with each of those, if they win or how they win, um, to bring a lot, of, a lot of eyes to this BYU program and Kalani Stake. And let's finish with this. Based on your research and your conversation with uh, BYU football coaches and players, how do you feel, like you mentioned, BYU is going to take a step forward? What, what, do you, what do you think contributes to that? Well, I think it starts on the offensive side with a bit of consistency at quarterback. That obviously helps. But also on the offensive line, when we talk about, you know, I'm from, like, the Midwest, and so I was always raised with, the, like, you have to start in the fronts, right? You have to start at the line of scrimmage. And so I think the fact that they return 
80% of their starts on the offensive line from a year ago is huge. If any offense wants to function, its offensive line needs to function. And so if we're starting with that as a base, that to me is a really good sign. I think it's more important to return 80% of the starts there than it is that maybe they don't return those kind of starts at wide receiver or running back or that they maybe don't have those established playmakers there. And I think within the piece I broke down, what was this offense doing uh, with Zach Wilson, those final five games, those final five starts, they were converting 41.5% of their third down conversions. They were averaging 400, almost 430 yards of offense a game, 6.3 yards per uh, play versus in 2017, it was 5.1. And the 2018 season as a whole was 5.5. So I think just on the offensive side of the ball, um, I think this is a group that's going to be able to put up points. I think it's a group that's going to maybe surprise some people. Um, if they're not solely looking at those last five starts of Zach Wilson's season last year, if they're saying, oh, my gosh, this is a group that only scored 27 points last year, and now they're scoring, you know, 30, high 30s. Um, but actually Zach Wilson's final five starts, it was 34 and a half points. So um, I think offensively, this group is really going to take a step forward. Chantel, I hope we're talking again after BYU beats the likes of Utah, Tennessee, and USC. (laughs) (laughs) That would be quite the start. If we're going to talk about national attention, and if that is how BYU starts the season, um, and then looking at sort of how front-loaded their schedule is, and if they have the talent to beat those three teams, what they're going to do to the rest of their schedule, um, it could be quite the year in Provo. Ah, yes. We're putting on our blue goggles and thinking of good things. Thanks, Chantel. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You got it. Chantel Jennings on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. Yeah, what if it's 09 and BYU just starts like gangbusters, goes into the top 10, the rapture happens, there's no football anymore. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. See, that's the thing. If BYU wins the first four, the rapture will happen, and then we don't even have football. National champs. I say BYU doesn't win the first four. Uh, I say they go just three and one. I'll and settle for three and ex- one. I would be ecstatic <laughs> for two and two. Oh ecstatic. yeah, ecstatic. I'll be yeah. I'll be fine with two and two. I don't want to get blown out by Utah, but yeah. Coming up, BYU hoops and tug o war. And the next rise and shout requires perhaps a game show theme song. Jerem, what's that all about? This is BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation and a shout out to today's guest, Olympian Ed Eyestone, BYU track and field head coach, and Chantel Jennings, college football national writer for The Athletic. And the women's soccer team. And the In between women's line. soccer team, that's right. Shows on demand via the podcast and the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. Let's whip it. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around Golf. Former Cougar Zach Blair qualified for the U.S. Open yesterday. He was one of five qualifiers in a field of 73. Shot a pair of 67s to tie for first, which is what Spencer typically does when he plays yeah. in the competition. Blair will compete in the second U.S. his second U.S. Open next week at Pebble Beach. Zach Blair's former teammate, BYU alum Patrick Fishburne, selected by the Tony Finau Foundation to be the first to receive funding for his professional golf career. Can you cool get this? Is that? Fishburne currently playing on the PGA's Canadian Tour, the McKenzie Tour, and is ranked sixth after playing two events. Is that the Bob McKenzie Tour from Strange Brew? Perhaps. No? What? A. And Kalani Sataki and Utah's Kyle Whittingham competed with each other in the 31st Annual National Kidney Foundation Coaches Golf Tournament. As a team, they scored four under par, shooting 68. I'm guessing they played best ball. Wow. <laughs> with each other. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not against. With. 
Cougars in pro hoops. Elijah Bryan and Hapoel Ailat defeated Nes Ziona in round four of the quarterfinals of the 98-90 win. Bryan had 23 points, five rebounds, a couple of assists. His team advances to the Israeli League semifinals to play Maccabi TA on June 10th. Cougars in the draft. Jackson Clough, Justin Cerner, and Brock Hale look to be drafted as the Major League Baseball draft continues today. One Eastern rounds three through ten. Track and field. At the NCAA Division I Track and Field Championships this week in Austin, Texas, the number four men's team has 16 entries, while the number 15 women's team goes into the meet with six entries. The Track and Field Championships start tomorrow and run through the eighth, again, in Austin, Texas. Now, Jerem, this isn't really news, but something that we really enjoyed seeing on social media yesterday, a BYU basketball tug of war. Nice. It's, <laughs> it's the basketball team. Gavin Baxter's team versus Yoli Child's team. Yoli Child's team won. Eric Short did this, I think, as a strength and conditioning activity. And so congratulations to Yoli Childs, who continues to win in his return to BYU. <laughs> Pretty evenly matched. As you see Coach Short, uh, for those watching on BYU TV, monitor it closely. But, yeah, the advantage to Yoli Childs. Our question of the day, what is your trap game for BYU football on the 2019 schedule and why? Our elite voice of the day, presented by Sundance Mount Resort, celebrating 50 years at Texas Colonel, says the trap game has to be Toledo. We heard about this. Don't sleep on Toledo, Jerem. Now for today's rise and shout-outs. James Holzhauer, who had that tremendous run on Jeopardy, he comes shy of BYU grad Ken Jennings' record in 2004 in money and wins. Oh, Brutal to go up that way. My shout-out goes to Aaron Dodson, a writer for ESPN, who released some pictures of the current Golden State Warriors. Kevin Durant is the best. With throwback <laughs> looks from the 70s. Yes, Kevin Durant He's looks like bald. He looks like Nate Thurman straight out of the <laughs> yes. 70s. Sorry to Dennis Pitta, ran out of time. For Jerem, I'm Spencer. Shout-out to Daniel Summerhays. We'll see you tomorrow for BYU Sports Station at noon Eastern, 10 a.m. Mountain. Go Cougs. <laughs>